0: What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host Ken Milam and John Swan as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. This episode is brought to you by a landlocked naval officer who
1: needed a new hobby outside of drinking snobby IPAs. Thank you, Mark. Hey. Am I here? Yep, you're here. Okay. I had actually just uh, texted you the link too, just in case. <laughs> no,
0: I I gotta put my here my, my my headphones on. <laughs> I'm sitting there. Damn, why ain't, Why can't I hear anything? Oh, because I ain't got my headphones on. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, you gotta have the whole thing set up and ready
0: to go. Oh, it was. I just didn't have it on. <laughs> didn't have them on my he- ears. I got it even plugged in, had it had it plugged in there, and they're just sitting there, why the hell ain't it he talking? Oh, <laughs> guess I ought to put them over my head. Okay. Yep. That does help. Okay.
1: <laughs> it
0: definitely does.
1: Well, I am uh, I'm a little discombobulated this morning. I basically well, so I had a strenuous removal yesterday hmm? and it started off with me getting stung in the head five minutes after getting out of the truck before we had ever done anything remotely close to being near the bees.
0: Oh, um, so one of them just decided to come down and sting the hell out of you like they do me once in a while.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I was standing mm-hmm. out there talking to the property owner, trying to come up with um, you know what specifically we were going to do and what the plan was, and uh, one of them zinged by and then came back around and just pegged me right in the head. It was about... <sighs> I don't know, half an inch above my eyebrow. And of course that was right before anything ever started. So the whole time I was in there doing the removal, I was contemplating whether or not, you know, my eye was going to swell shut. Um, Cause that would make it more difficult to see what I was doing. But luckily mm-hmm. I'd, I'd actually, I didn't swell up. It just, uh, it's a little tender, a little sore, kind of smart at first, but that is all. Um, but yeah, just so are
0: figuring you out.
1: I don't know. This one was, uh, it was kind of an interesting deal because when they first called me out there, they were trying to tell me it was like an old, um, kind of barn slash shed type building. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to tell me that the bees were in the wall and they told me where the bees were going in at. And they sent me a photo of it. And I told them the bees are under the floor. And that was without even getting out there and looking at it, but they, they didn't think so. And they were pretty sure they were in the wall and they told me I can just rip the wood paneling off the outside of the building and access them. So I showed up initially to do it and opened up the door and there were two problems. And I said, well, they're definitely not in the wall and I hadn't even stepped inside the building yet. And they go, well, well, how do you know that? And I was like, because there is no wall, it's just the exterior plywood (laughs) and two by fours. So there's nowhere for the bees to be inside the wall. So like I said, over the phone, they're under the floor. And they were like, oh, and I said and, and they said, So what's the what's the other problem? And I said, Well, you got all this shit in here. There was like <laughs> 17 different air conditioner units piled in there, and then a giant double door, almost like a convenience store style refrigerator unit that would have like the sliding glass doors. And mm-hmm. that was setting directly on top of where the bees were. Now there was a hole in the wall where they were coming in and then going under the floor. So you could see the light shining and the floor was kind of sunken in where they were at. And I told him, I was like, well, we're going to have to schedule this for another day because, number one, I'm not moving all this stuff. And I will leave you some suits so that you guys can move all of this stuff out of the building because I'm going to need access to, you know, X amount of square feet of the floor to do this. And so they got that accomplished. And then I went back out there yesterday to actually do the removal. And I've got to go back out there again today to catch any last little remaining foragers that may be missed um any of the little meh my brain doesn't yeah but i I was trying to think of the uh stragglers that was it um any of the stragglers that we missed from the the initial removal so so yeah just uh just fun times all the way around um that's the second time in like a week that i've been stung in the head
0: yeah so you got stung the other day and you had your suit on
1: yeah and that one got inside the suit this one i didn't even have the suit on yet um, so my mom was asking me, uh, she's like, we need to really take a look at that suit and figure out where that leak is that those bees are getting in. And I laughed and I said, well, the first time I didn't have my ankles strapped up like I should. So that's probably where they got in. And I was like, the second time I didn't even have the suit on. So, yeah, <laughs> it's hmm. just how it works. But yeah, it's a, uh, oof, I, uh, bee removal season is, is about over for us. We are winding down, um, fairly quickly, actually. We've got one more on the books, and uh, there may be one or two little ones that pop up here or there, but otherwise, I think we're going to be done with that for the year. Um, Mainly just because I'm done with that for the year. (laughs) So, But the the closer to winter it gets, the uh, more difficult it is, actually, because we only keep about four pieces of brood comb when we do a removal and that's not right. enough for a colony to survive the winter. So no. any removals we do after October have to be combined with, uh, another colony basically so that they have plenty of, you know, it's like, we've got a weak colony. We can go through there and combine those. And yeah. that kind of helps bolster the one up and, and potentially saves the other. We usually keep the queen that was in the initial colony Um, because we don't always necessarily know the, you know, the genetics and temperament and stuff of the removal bees, unless the removal bees were just sweet as could be. And we didn't notice any mites and there wasn't any, you know, signs of disease, things like that. Um, then we might go ahead and keep the queen from the removal, especially if it was a big thriving colony and we're going to combine it with a smaller colony that's not doing so great. So, but it all kind of just depends. Um, you were telling me that uh, Max was just finishing up a couple of combinations that he had done with the newspaper combine.
0: Couple of the swarms uh, we got earlier this year, uh, and the you know he has uh, fixed up. Uh, we have the four frame boxes, and he's taken the the top part of them and turned them into swarm traps. Two of them. So anyway, uh, so we had two of them had. Oh, they weren't big, big colonies. They were medium colonies. And he decided he wanted to mix two of them to make a rather large colony. So, uh, we did the, uh, or he did the, uh, newspaper. And he went over there and I think made a couple of slits in the newspaper, put it down and put that one colony, took the queen out of the top colony and put it on top of the bottom colony. And, he was wondering how long it was gonna take for the bees to go down. And he'd go over and look at the look at the uh, porch every once in a while to see if they started hauling out the newspaper. And he says, Dad, he says, they make the smallest confetti you ever seen. I said, Well, yeah, they have to chew it up to get that out. Oh, well, I guess that's right. I said, they ain't got thumbs and fingers. No, so, but
1: they can drag things though. They will. Well, yeah. They will chew it. They will chew like when they're chewing the holes. They definitely <clears> chew <throat> it up into like a confetti. But when they get bigger chunks, kind of isolated off, they will drag it down and drag entire chunks straight on out of the colony.
0: Well, he's got to move now, but he says, "Dad, they are mean." Now, I guess they had uh, had finished up doing the the combine yesterday. And he went over there, and he says they come out to meet me. (laughs) I said, okay. I said, well, imagine with them, the top colony having to mix with another queen, and just all of the drama that's going through that. I said, yeah, I could see how they might be a little on the testy side. So he just uh, walked off. He opened them up, make sure they was mixed, and they are mixed, and and just shut them back down walked off and he says i'll check them in a week or so okay sounds good to me so i said the main thing is we found out how to do it with yours because i got three or four well i got four colonies i want to mix to make two big colonies so yep so we've already played and now we're going to do it and go from there.
1: Well, the good rule of thumb for everybody out there is, you know, we're we're talking about combining hives. So if you are going into winter and you have more than one colony and you have a colony that seems weak um, and, and by weak, I mean, not a lot of bees, not a lot of comb, not a lot of food stores. Um, just because the colony only has one box doesn't necessarily mean they're weak. So initially look at it as a 50-50 ratio. If you've got a colony in a nuke box that is a, say, a five-frame box, and they've got two frames of capped brood and two frames of solid capped food, and they're still bringing in food, and they've got enough bees that they're actually covering all of the frames and the box is fairly full, that box is still strong, even though it's small, because it is appropriate to its cavity size. If you've got a deep box, what you're going to want to shoot for is a 50-50 ratio of bees, frames of bees to frames of food minimum. So on a deep box, if it is an eight frame deep box or a 10 frame deep box, you're going to be shooting for four to five frames that are solid bees and brood and food, and then five frames of solid capped food and then plenty of bees to cover all eight to 10 frames. Now, that should be like you open up the top of the box, you open up the inner cover, and there's just bees everywhere, and they're, in the, they're on top of all of the frames, they're on all the frames, they're not just over on one or two frames. If they're only on one or two frames, then you may not have the strong, large enough colony size to successfully make it through winter with those bees, so that could be another little challenge there with that, but... When you do decide that you find a colony that, you know, it's only occupying a couple of frames or maybe it's in a big box and it it only drew out three frames to begin with, that colony more than likely should just go ahead and be combined with another colony. The best way to do it is to find two or even three colonies that are all small, subpar, and are going to need the help. And you can turn around and take those colonies and combine them into one colony. Now, if you do it with a newspaper combine, then preferably the colony that is going to be the queen right colony that you're going to keep that queen on stays on the bottom and stays in its original position. The other colonies, you wait until all the bees have gone inside, you lock them down, you pick them up, you move them, and then you open up the original colony, you put the newspaper over it. If there's any worry of the bees being a little bit more defensive or aggressive or there's more in one than there is the other uh, as far as there's more in maybe the one that you're combining and putting on top, then you can put two layers of the newspaper. Otherwise, a single layer is fine. You put a couple of teeny tiny little slits. They don't have to be big, long gaps. You don't want a bee to be able to get through it. You just want to have a tiny little slit so that they can start chewing to open that up. And that would be kind of like the equivalent of taking a steak knife and just barely poking it straight down to where it's maybe half the width of the knife itself. And that's it. You just put you know several of those between some of the frames And then you set that other colony directly on top of the newspaper. So once you do that process, leave them alone for five to seven days. Don't go out there. Don't open it up. Don't look. And make sure that the bees on top have no other choice but to go down through the newspaper. Make sure there is no top entrance or anything up there. And make sure you have removed the queen that you don't want to keep. So, don't put both queens in there. You find one queen that you don't want, you remove her, then you do this combination process. Now, after the seven days, once they have fully combined, then you can go back and you can consolidate things, or you can wait a couple of weeks. Again, if you're worried about your initial queen that you're keeping, the longer you leave them alone, the more time they have to calm down and get settled, and the more accepting they will be. It's just like when you introduce a brand new queen, when you introduce her, you don't want to go check on that colony every other day, because if you do, you could disrupt the bees. They could blame the queen and they could kill the queen because that does happen. So you've got to give them time to everybody get acclimated and calm down. Now, once that has occurred, you may end up with say three boxes and you only need two, or you may end up with two boxes, but there's truly only enough frames once everything is sorted out and combined to fill one box. So instead of leaving all the boxes and all the empty space and all the empty frames or unused frames or potentially undrawn frames, it's better to go ahead and combine everything down so that you have one box with all the brood in it and one box with all the food in it. If there's not enough of either of those things to fill up more than one box, then you put them all in one box and you make sure you have all the brood and then all the food in your deep box and then put your inner cover and your lid on it and that's how they're going to overwinter. So that's kind of the the you know the down and dirty rough version of combining a hive. Um there is an episode from season 1 that is yeah, if you go back to season 1 and you look up episode number 29, it's titled Combining and Consolidating Hives and you can find more information there about how to go through and actually choose which hives to combine, how to do the process. And it'll kind of walk you through that in a little bit more detail. But that's kind of a quick overview for everybody. Um, For other listeners out there, like everybody in Australia and New Zealand, you guys are now in the throes of spring. And you've got swarms and you're catching bees and your colonies are growing and exploding. And, you know, we all have high hopes that you guys have an amazing year this year and a great spring And that your colonies just do fantastic.
0: Yep. Big colonies make lots of honey, and that's what I'm working on this year.
1: There you go. That's right. Big colonies make a lot of honey. I'm going to go in here real quick, and I'm going to pull up that episode so that I can give you an actual... Oops. Apparently, it's going to play an advertisement. So, I'll cut this out. Where are we at? (laughs) We're at 22 minutes. Okay. (laughs) So you go ahead and talk about something while I try to find this here.
0: Anyway, uh, that's something that, you know, I've always wanted numbers of colonies. And I think this year we're going to go numbers of bee per colony. Because we found out that I had one colony that I had purchased. Well, I I purchased two, but purchased and just left it alone and that's the honey I'm getting is off of that colony and it's a bunch of bees in there and so yeah that's what we're going to work on this year just raising lots of bees per colony and I'm going to be mixing combining four colonies I'm going to be and and well five colonies really and uh, so In fact, today, this evening, which uh, what we're going to do this evening is I have a 10-frame trap, swarm trap. Uh, It's only got like two or three frames in it, and I'm going to take it, and it's also got a comb hanging from the lid. So I'm going to take it, put it on a rescue frame. Take the two frames, put them in an eight-frame box because it is on a 10-frame box. I'm going to fill it full of empty comb or just uh, plastic foundation in boxes or frames with plastic foundation. And then next week, I'm going to go mix it with the cutout. And, but, but, you know, boost it up with some numbers and see what happens. See where it goes and see if we can make it a little stronger. And other than that, everything is good up here. We have a great fall flow. I mean, we're having a great fall flow up here. Had rain and we got broomweed and big yellow flowers. And I guess there are probably five, there's Texas stars but uh everything's good bee brush is blooming it's white like snow and snowweed's blooming everything's blooming up here and and the bees are just in fact the bees have quit taking sugar water uh, you can put sugar water in there and they ain't gonna mess with it they're after the, the nectar so that's what they're after right now and they're bringing in plenty of pollen I figure in about uh, three or four weeks, once we have a pretty good coat cool down, we'll go to feeding piling again and more sugar water. And I, everything, you know, probably go to two to one here, here pretty quick.
1: Uh, Usually for us, it's going to be. Well, again, it's all relative to wherever you're at. So for us, by basing it on our normal temperatures and our winter and and when we lock our bees down, it's typically going to be the middle of October um, is kind of we give the bees all the way up through then. I do anyway, all the way up through then to see how they're doing on their their fall nectar flow and make sure that they're Mm -hmm. bringing in food. And then that's when I make the decision, because that's kind of the the last stretch where you've got about three, maybe four weeks, but probably three weeks where you can just pack them with the two to one sugar syrup. And if they need it now, the colonies that don't need it, then we're not necessarily going to do that too. And and they should be fine. So I've actually, we did not harvest nearly as much honey as we normally do because the, this year was so bizarre and I left a lot more honey on the hives than normal as well. So um hopefully since how we are having this spectacular fall flow this year so far the mm-hmm. bees aren't going to need anything they're they're backfilling and they're you know they're going in like crazy so i'm kind of hoping that i can maybe skate by without having to feed them because that is my preferred you know letting the bees do their own natural thing is what i would prefer to do um but obviously if i do find colonies that are needing it then we will step in and and we'll go ahead and feed them that um there you go yeah so yeah so you know kind of what you were saying about the making sure that you have one big strong colony, that one colony that we, that you're actually going to get your honey out of this year. That colony is the one that we didn't do anything to. We didn't split it. We didn't Didn't take any bees from it. it. We didn't requeen it. We didn't do anything like that to it. And that colony is the colony this year that survived, had a good, you know, good store of bees and actually gave you a a decent amount of excess uh, nectar and honey that you could then turn around and harvest. Yep. So it is definitely a positive if you can accomplish that, if you can go through and get them to cooperate um, without, you know, cause there's also hardships that come along with that as well. So, you know, for those of you in the other countries where you are coming into spring, your colonies are going to want to swarm like no matter what every colony tries at least once a year to go through and swarm and some of them will do it earlier in the spring some of them will do it later closer to summer or in the middle of summer um unless you're out there at ken's place and then they do it like in the middle of the summer dearth like when it's hot as hell and there's no food um but they're all going to attempt to do it at some point so your management practices going through constantly giving them comb down in the brood nest that they can be drawing out, fixating on, because if they're converting all that sugar into wax, they're not going to be converting it into royal jelly. And if there's not a buildup of royal jelly in their systems, they're going to reduce that swarm urge a little bit. But if you're constantly going through and manipulating that and doing the different things, that will help kind of prolong that and let that colony get bigger. You can always turn around, capture that swarm, And then, you know, possibly here's something we haven't really talked about and I'm not going to go too far into depth on it on this episode, but you could capture that swarm, turn around and put them into their own colony. And then you could actually use that colony to turn the original colony into a two queen system where you kind of have a two queen tower and let both of the queens go to town, but let the foragers continue merging and give them the extra space to continue drawing out comb. And you could get like an amazing honey harvest doing something like that. And then later you can either combine them back down into one or you can split them off into separate hives for the next year. So there's lots of little things that can be done, but it definitely should be, you know, in the forefront of your mind. What is it that you're trying to accomplish? Because if you're just trying to accomplish the sheer number of colonies, then, yeah, go through and do your splits and do your increases. But make sure that those colonies stay strong and healthy, because if not, you could potentially lose just as many of them over that coming winter, if not that summer Um As you made the split, so you may end up right back where you were. But if your goal is honey harvest, you need big, strong, healthy colonies. And if you were looking at, well, I got this one colony, and I could split it into three colonies, those three colonies won't actually make you as much honey as that one colony if you would have left it alone. And that's kind of how the ratio of that works because it's all about the amount of bees inside the hive and the amount of workers needed to do all the internal tasks. And then the excess workers that can become foragers to go out and bring you that food and pull it back in. So that is definitely a good approach to have.
0: Yep. And, uh, we, uh, we've learned the hard way, I guess. (laughs) lost a lot of bees and got a lot of bees and got a lot of swarms in. Basically we're still at, uh, at, uh square 1 <laughs> b101 so yeah it's uh it's a learning process for damn sure
1: yeah it's uh every year brings new challenges and new lessons and you know it's you just have to learn to to kind of go with the ebb and the flow of it and figure out the natural cycles that your bees do you have to figure out what nature is going to do and how that could affect the bees and how the bees are going to respond to that and know when you should step in and help and when you should step away and let the bees do their own thing. Um, it's all about, you know, paying attention to all of those different signs and then trying to find that harmony and balance between all of them to go through and, and actually be successful at it. And it can absolutely be frustrating. Um, definitely. Don't get me wrong it can be a very frustrating challenge, especially when you're just starting off there. It doesn't seem like there should be, but there is a very steep leaning uh, learning curve that is in there. And, you know, then when you add in the challenges with like varroa mites and diseases and colony collapse and, you know, colonies just flat out crashing and all of that kind of stuff that can go through and happen, you know, it, it does, it does actually get very challenging and very frustrating. Um, I'm going to pick on David here for just a second because, you know, just as an example to everybody out there. So David's very first year, he ended up having not the best time. Um, He had one colony and there ended up being way too much moisture inside the colony and they ended up absconding and abandoning the colony and, and what was left kind of crashed out and died. And then he went back and got another colony to replace it and got it up and going. And it survived the winter. And then starting off this year, that sucker just exploded. He did a split. Both of the colonies were doing phenomenal. He had multiple boxes that he was able to harvest from both colonies. Wow. And then everything looked great. And he left to go on a little short mini vacation and came home. And one of the colonies had absconded and was gone. The other colony wow. still doing great. But so now, you know, after all of that and after getting, you know, both of them looking like they were perfectly healthy and having a, just a banner honey harvest for his second year, he's ultimately going into winter with one colony because again, something happened and either it was the bees choice and they decided that they didn't want to be there or, you know, something else happened that, that caused them to kind of spiral out of control within that short little time period. but. When it was all said and done you know that's that's kind of how it is and that's how our losses can be um you may lose 50 percent of your colonies and if you have two hives that means you lose one hive and that can be frustrating but it's better to have two and lose one than to have one and lose it because then you have none and that's one of the reasons a lot of your beekeeping associations will tell you oh you need two hives you really need two hives you can compare and you can contrast you can share resources between them and then ultimately worst case scenario and it's not the one that they really want to advertise, but worst case scenario, if you lose a colony, well, then that next spring, you could potentially split the existing colony and then get back to at least having two if that was kind of your goal. So it uh, it really can be a challenge for sure. Um, but there are just as many rewards as there are frustrations. So I will counter with that. You know, it, it is definitely still something that, in the right scenarios when you've got bees that are doing their thing and they're very calm and chill and Zen, it can become a very stress relieving experience, you know, and that's only when the bees are not like covering your body and trying to kill you. um, (laughs) Does it become a stress relieving experience instead of a stress inducing experience? But you know, it, it just happens. It kind of comes and goes and it depends on our beekeeping styles and how many hives we have and the challenges for that year, you know, the bees, maybe the sweetest things in the world all the way up until the summered earth or the wintered earth even. Uh, and then at that point, there's no food out there for them and the resources they have are all they're going to get and they will defend it ferociously. And so then their attitude drastically changes, but then fall comes and the summered earth goes away and suddenly there's nectar flow again and your bees are back to being just the sweetest things ever. So it kind of, you know, it, it, it's just an ebb and a flow. It's a give and a take.
0: Yeah, and then winter comes and there. You know, uh, it's cold. We ain't going to do nothing. And then you have to put your, your sugar on top and feed them. And then spring comes again. And you check in them. And, okay, uh, they're better. Then all of a sudden, mid-spring gets there. And, yep, happiest damn bees you ever saw again. Yeah. Now, That's one little caveat to what you just said, though
1: only feed your bees in the winter if the bees don't have any food and they need it as an emergency food source. Yeah. So we should not be in this instance. We shouldn't necessarily be helicopter bee parents because if you, if right now if you're heading into winter and you're preparing your colonies and they've already got a deep of solid capped honey on top of their brood box and they're backfilling their brood box they do not need supplemental food. So there's no point in creating sugar bricks and sugar candy and fondant and packing it on top of that colony before you go through and shut them up for the winter because then it's just up there. And it could be something else that they have to guard and it could be something that ants or something could get into, you know. So don't give them the artificial stuff unless they absolutely need it. Like let them try to do it on their own first and only if... They run out of food, they burn through their food stores, or they weren't able to get enough food stored up before winter, then intervene and step in and give them that kind of food and put that type of stuff on there. And I just touched yeah. my leg, and apparently I have honey on my leg.
0: Um, oh, got that. You.
1: No, no, but I, I was, uh, before we you know started to record, I was doing a, a final honey harvest for the year. And so, I've got honey filtering down through and straining and all that. And apparently, yeah. I'm my guess is I that I guess the five-gallon bucket, when I was carrying it, touched my leg and had some honey dribbles on it. So, apparently, it's on my leg. Um, but that's yeah. not anything new around here. My mom always says that uh, she can always tell where I've been because all the door handles are sticky.
0: <laughs> yeah, I understand that one. And right now with with you talking about how the bees if they de- need the honey the sugar, they take it and they don't if they don't and right now they don't. I mean our bees are not touching sugar water. So so right now with the with the fall flow we have, they are not touching it. So I've shut down the feeding till I don't know, mid October to late October and then Although we got a pretty good northern coming later this week. I may have to look at it in a couple of weeks, but right now they're not getting any sugar.
1: Yeah, well, the, the cooler temperatures are not going to affect the flow. What's going to affect the flow would be too much rain or a freeze. The freeze yeah. will put a stop to it immediately. Um yep. too much rain, you know, makes it complicated because if you know you've got a, a double fold, if there's flowers out there that the rain washes the nectar out of, well, then if the next day is sunny, the bees don't have any food or if it rains for multiple days in a row, the bees can't get out to go look for any food and therefore they have to start consuming some of the resources that they've been storing and that could set them back a little bit. So those types of things usually do occur during the fall flow um, in one regard or another. So that's kind of where you got to go through and watch it. But as far as the feeding um, just for everybody who is in you know, different climates and zones and everything, just keep in mind, if you are going to feed liquid, you only feed the liquid until your average daytime temperatures are at 60 degrees. If they drop below 60 degrees for the average, and that's 60 degrees Fahrenheit, if they drop below 60 degrees Fahrenheit for the average, then you stop eating liquid. Because at that point, it is too cool for the bees to be able to do all the work to dehydrate that down It could add excess moisture to the colony, which could add excess condensation. And, you know, that's not necessarily something that you want uh, cooped up in there in large amounts going into winter. So that's when you would make a switch. And again, if your colonies didn't get enough food, then you could switch over to the solid feed and you could feed them that if they still needed the food stores going into winter. But ultimately, the goal is to give the bees everything that they need and allow them to do their thing and store up plenty of food for winter so that they do not need any intervention from us that's the best case scenario there you go there you go well sir i think we're gonna shut this bad boy down for the week and uh let everybody get on with their week happy monday to those of you who are listening to this on the day that it is actually released hopefully you have an amazing week (laughs) and uh for everybody else howdy hello thanks for joining thanks for tuning in um if, uh, if this is the very first episode you've ever listened to, then you have an entire season out there that you should go pick up and listen to from episode one all the way forward, especially if you're just getting into beekeeping and you're thinking about it and you want to start next year, go back and listen to the first season. That walks you a day at a time all the way through the whole first year, everything to consider, how to set things up, you know what to buy, all that kind of stuff. It'll help you go all the way through that process. So definitely check that out. And for those of you on Patreon, you'll have another bonus episode coming up on Thursday. And then for everybody else, we will have, uh, barring any technical difficulties, we will have a special interview slash honey tasting episode coming out next week on Monday for everybody to enjoy. So look forward to that. And until then, y'all be good.
0: Family, y'all take care of each other and be good to each other. And we'll see you again. It's time for our guys to buzz off. But don't fret, the Hive Jive journey continues with new episodes Mondays every month. Until then, you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at The Hive Jive. Thanks for listening, and be safe out there.